What is up, guys? This is episode 20. I am very excited for episode 20. Like I said in a couple of episodes before, I just decided to do this podcast to just talk to a lot of cool Amazon sellers and pretty much pick their brain and learn what helped them become successful. Like I've had seven-figure Amazon sellers. I've had I had one eight-figure Amazon seller. Eight figures is like 10 million plus. I've had plenty of six-figure Amazon sellers. And when I say six figures, I mean like making like $100,000 months. You can make a lot of money really doing Amazon. So that was really cool. And like, it's helped me out a lot. So if you are new to it, I will recommend, well, I would be, it will behoove you to check out the past 19 episodes where there's so much information that was given out there that if you're just an Amazon seller, learning how to start selling on Amazon or you're a seasoned Amazon seller, then the podcast in video format or in regular format is really, really good. But let's get to it. I have... I have a list of people that I want to interview on my um, podcast, and this fellow, fella, do people say that? This guy, Chris, from Clear the Shelf, he is in like my top five people that I want to inter interview. He's been selling on Amazon for over a decade. He started back in like 2011, and he's been reselling overall for almost two decades. It may have been over two decades. So I got a chance to talk to him. The podcast is like an hour long. It's packed full of information. We talk about Everything about Amazon, from how to start Amazon, his story about um, starting Amazon. He gives a practical way of being able to make $75,000 profit and do that just by selling on Amazon. So if you guys want to learn about that and like know exactly how to do it, then I would recommend that you watch the podcast. And I'm going to stop talking now and get directly into the podcast. This is episode 20 of the Amazon Hustle podcast with Chris, a.k.a. Clear the Shelf. Let's get into it. Are you having trouble sourcing profitable products? Let us do the work for you. Join the TAH Leads List. For $20 a month, you will receive one new lead Monday through Friday like these. Sign up today to save more time while making more money. Visit leadslist.lewismorethethird.com to sign up. So, Chris, can you do me a favor and tell everybody who you are and exactly what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a long answer. So, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm Chris Grant. I've been uh, I've been selling on Amazon for uh, a little over a decade now. I think uh, I think 11 years or maybe 12. I don't know. Uh, I know that my eBay account is uh, just turned 18 years old. So, oh, wow. uh, uh, but ever since I got into kind of selling on Amazon and 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 stuff like that, I decided I really wanted to just share everything that I was learning. And so around the same time, I, I got on YouTube. I, I started getting into Facebook groups and. Uh, you know, before Discord and and Instagram was even around, uh, and I just answered questions and helped where I could, and you know, asked others so I could learn from them. Uh, and so I guess I'm kind of a content creator uh, as well. Uh, and then I also decided that I just I wanted to try a bunch of things. Like I'm really really curious. So I've built extensions to go uh, to help Amazon sellers. I've done courses. Uh, I've kind of just tried anything that kind of piqued my interest, uh, you know, just to, uh, to have a good time, help out others where I can. And of course, make an income for myself and my family too. Nice. Okay. I wanted to, to talk about this later, but since you brought it up now, you create content in a lot of different mediums. You have a blog, you have a mm -hmm. website, you have a podcast, you have a YouTube channel. You're very active on Instagram. I don't use really any other social media, so I don't know if you're active on Twitter or, or like TikTok, but I know you're very active on Instagram. Um, before you got into reselling, were you already like a content creator? Did you already have like blogs or like things like that, maybe on other, on other topics? Uh, yes, I was, I was kind of getting into it. 
So what I did before I sold on Amazon and, and eBay and stuff like that is I actually was, uh, I sold insurance for a living. Oh, I did okay. that for 12, 12 years. Uh, and I, I could see that the, the path was coming for content to be king. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we started a blog, we were getting ready to start a YouTube channel. I was really trying to, to kind of get some insurance content out there. Uh, but you know, people at corporate didn't like it. And, you know, uh, the owner of my agency was my grandfather was very oh, wow. old school, uh, and was like, listen, if you're not, if you're not pounding the pavement and knocking on doors, you know, you're not doing the right thing. Right. Uh, and so I just, I got a ton of pushback, uh, but I've decided to really lean in when I went out and did my own thing. Okay. Um, you said that your eBay account just hit 18 years. So mm -hmm. that's seven years before you start selling on Amazon. So in those seven years, were you a full-time eBay or were you still selling insurance at that time? No, I was just selling insurance. eBay, for me, eBay has mostly always just been kind of a place to sell old electronics and, mm -hmm. and things like that. I know that people can absolutely create a full-time income off of eBay. Uh, and then for a very short time, I was, I thought that my path was going to be drop shipping on eBay. Okay. Uh, but I learned really, really quickly. That wasn't for me. Right. Uh, so yeah, but go ahead. I, I was, um, I was going to ask you, I tried drop drop shipping, like for a couple of hours. And I was like, it's just too much work for like too little profit. Um, yeah. what was it about drop shipping that you didn't like? Cause if you look on social media, drop shipping is the best way to go. So what was it about drop shipping that you didn't agree with or didn't like? Well, you know, I was drop shipping before there were, you know, automated tools and things like that. So I was going to uh, Amazon and Walmart and Sam's Club and places like that and dragging and dropping all the pictures and, and you know, creating oh. the content for the listings. Uh, but the thing that really got me was actually fulfilling the orders. I had to do all of those manually. Right. Uh, you know, and it was just, I'd be up at three in the morning uh, fulfilling orders. And then I'd have to go to work the next day. And I, I just didn't want to do that grind all mm -hmm. the time. I, I needed something a little bit better. I like that. Well, I mean, I get that. Um, so from being like a part-time eBay seller, I guess we can say what brought you to Amazon? Like, how did you even first find out that selling on Amazon? Cause this is what back in like 2011, 12. Yeah. Yeah, it was, okay. uh, I didn't, I didn't realize how, you know, how many people were already selling on Amazon, even back then. I mean, mm -hmm. it was much, much smaller than it is now, but, uh, I ended up listening to a podcast because I, I was getting into affiliate marketing and kind of learning that area. And so I listened to, um, Pat Flynn, uh, smart passive income, yeah. really great podcast. And he had, uh, Jessica LaRue on who has been around for a really long time. Uh, and I learned what Amazon was. So I started going down that rabbit trail. I found guys like, uh, Chris green, uh, and you know, he's, he has a book. He wrote the book retail arbitrage. He wrote the book online arbitrage. Uh, and you know, I read those, uh, joined some Facebook groups and, and then really started learning the process. Uh, and I was like, okay. And that was kind of around the time that you know, FBA was really getting traction. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, before that, everyone was shipping out of their houses, kind of like eBay, but on steroids. Uh, and, and I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I can do this. And so that 
just that was the path I decided to take. Okay, when you say that this makes a lot of sense, was it the FBA or was it the FBM? It was the well, I my very first sale was FBM. I, I bought some uh I bought some vintage magazines off of Craigslist, uh, went through them, made sure that they were in good shape, posted them all for sale, and I sold through one and then you know, and then five and then ten. And I was like, okay. I was like, so I, I, I validated that there are people buying on this platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my next step was, well, let's make sure that if I send in my inventory where I don't have to see it all the time, it doesn't have to sit on the kitchen table, that they're not going to lose it all or steal it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I sent in maybe like 10 things. Uh, and sure enough, they start selling. And then I didn't have to fulfill the orders and it was prepped and packed and shipped by some employee at Amazon. And once that started rolling, I was like, oh, this, this is the future. This is, you know, this is how, you know, buying and selling is going to be done from here on out. And so uh, then I just really leaned in. Okay. I know me as an Amazon seller, when I tell, like when I'm in a gym or I meet somebody new and they ask me what I do, I say, I'm an Amazon seller. And most people don't even know what that means. Cause most people don't even know that there's people like us that are, they, people think that it's just Amazon that they buy from Amazon and the Amazon is the one that actually buys it and like ships it like whatever. But mm-hmm. a decade ago, social media wasn't even that popular to like kind of popularize Amazon FBA. So what did your friends and your family think when you told them that like, this is your new business thing? This is, this is what you're going to do. Oh yeah. They figured it was a fad. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, like that sound, that sounds like you're stealing. I'm like, I don't understand how, how me buying something legally at a grocery store and selling it on Amazon, uh, sounds illegal or stealing, but, uh, it was just a lot of, I don't understand that. And I'm not going to understand that. And I said, that, that's all right. You don't have to, uh, you know, but it's working. Uh, and I get a lot of that nowadays too. They're like, you know, people just don't understand at all, or don't take the time to kind of learn how marketplaces work. And mm-hmm. so they're like, okay. And, and they just kind of, kind of get bored and move on to another conversation. One thing that I've noticed about a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of people is that when you tell them that you're a reseller or that you sell on Amazon and you do retail and online arbitrage, they find a problem with it. Just like you said, some say it's still in or you're taken away from people who can't, whatever they say, but yet they still don't have a problem going to Walmart who went to a wholesaler or to a distributor to get, to get the product. Like it's the exact same thing, but a lot of people will find it okay for a company or a corporation to do it. But when you're doing it, then it's like such a big problem. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know, I don't know why that is. I don't know whether it's because they feel like, oh, well, I wasn't smart enough to see this for myself or, you know, it's, it's the couple of news stories that they do happen to see where, you know, a PS five is, you know, $900 instead of $500 uh, and someone's making a little bit of money on it. I mean, I don't know. I've been called a dirty reseller and uh, <laughs> you know, all kinds of stuff. And I'm just like, uh, whatever. Uh, arbitrage has, is probably the second oldest profession in the history of the world. I bet uh, I can guess what the first for, one is. <laughs> yeah, you know what the yeah, first one yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> but it's been around. It's been around forever. Uh, it's not going anywhere. It's never going anywhere. Uh, you know, names and faces might change, but arbitrage is, is here forever. Okay. Um, when you first started, 
what was the platform like? Was it all this, like, because I talked to a couple of people who started in 2016 and 2017, and they said back then they didn't understand about ungating and things like that. Was ungating a, a, like a process back in 2011, 2012? Yeah, yeah. When I first got started, it was still a process, but uh, you didn't have to go and get invoices from a wholesaler. Uh, I took one afternoon and I got ungated in like every category. Um, and all I did was go over to Walmart and buy items buy 10 units and have a receipt sent in my receipt, you know, marked up and annotated, mm -hmm. uh, and that ungated me. Nice. Uh, nowadays when a retail receipt works, it's typically a fluke or a, you know, a glitch or something like that. Uh, but back then you had to do the same process, but they would accept retail receipts. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I'm guessing online arbitrage wasn't like that big of a thing back then, or was it? Uh, not as not as big as retail arbitrage. Uh, retail arbitrage was king, uh, you know, and it's just because the uh, the stores and things like that they just weren't not as good at shipping items out to you. Uh, you know, the e-commerce just was kind of a baby, uh, and so like paying for shipping was a common thing. Uh, and, and nowadays that's like, you know, that's like the biggest sin ever when a customer might have to pay for shipping. Uh, it was slow. Um, and there were, there were a lot less people doing retail arbitrage. And so, you know, I could walk into a Walgreens, a Meyer, a Kroger, wherever I go, and there's just money laying on every single shelf everywhere. Is that where the name clear the shelf came from? It is. Yeah. We would go into retail store. So what I, what I did a lot of is I would, uh, I don't know what part of the country are you in? I'm in Germany, but oh, you're in Germany. I, oh, okay. yes. But I was born and raised in Michigan. Like I moved to Germany when I was like 23. So Perfect. Michigan. So, so, you know, Meyer. Yes. Uh, so I would, I'd walk into Meyer and, uh, they would do these like 50% off clearance deals all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go talk to the manager. I say, Hey, listen, if I clear the shelf, I take everything out of there. Is there any more discount I can get? Or do you have any room for an extra discount? If I really clear out some of your inventory. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when I decided I wanted to have a blog, I was like, well, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I want to clear the shelves. And so that's where it came from. Speaking of speaking of your blog, what was your first content medium for Amazon? Was it blogging? Uh, actually, I think it was YouTube. Okay, I think it was I think it was a YouTube video first, uh, and then and it wasn't even my first YouTube video wasn't even about like selling physical products on Amazon. I think my first video was actually about uh, merch by Amazon, selling oh. T-shirts and and things like that. Um. And then I, you know, started getting into the, the online arbitrage, uh, content. When you did your first YouTube video and then you kind of transitioned to doing more retail arbitrage videos, how many other Amazon YouTubers were there then? Were there like a, a lot then or? No, I mean, there was four five. I mm -hmm. mean, maybe that I knew of, I'm sure there were others out there because I'm not a, I'm not the best at. Um, I'm not the best at consuming content. Uh, I need good. to be a, I, yeah, I, but I need to be a better consumer of content. I've never been a great con other than books and blogs and things like that. Uh, but I would say there were four or five people making videos about, you know, 
retail and online arbitrage back then. I want to touch on that. Why do you think you need to be a better consumer of content? Because I've always been under the impression that you need to be less of a consumer and more of a creator. So why do you think you need to be a better consumer? Uh, just to be inspired uh, okay. and, you know, and to learn things. And, you know, uh, oh, what's that? What's that saying? Uh, great artists, good artists, copy, great artists, steal. Uh, okay. you know? So there are, I have always been a fan of radio. Uh, you, you know, uh, talk radio, sports radio, that kind of stuff. I, I grew up uh, driving around with my dad and he always had talk radio on. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been fascinated by how humans uh, really connect through the art of storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that to be able to uh, learn to do that better, you do have to consume some content uh, but you cannot only consume content. You've got right. to go out and create it as well. Right. Uh, you know, but you, you pick up things from people, uh, you know, here and there that just really, really work. And unfortunately I don't see as much as I probably should. Okay. Um, back to 2011, 2012, you're going in Myers and you're clearing out the whole shelves and you're getting all these discounts of things. How long did you do retail arbitrage? Oh, I think four or five years. And at the height of your retail arbitrage, like what was your schedule? Like, like how many stores were you hitting like in a week? Uh, at the height of it, um, we would, I mean, I tried to treat it like a, a job. So we would do eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. And then if we knew of a sale or something that was going on, I mean, we'd do 12 or 16 hours on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, just to make sure that we weren't missing anything. Okay. Um, when you decided to move to the next thing, was it moving to online arbitrage or was it um, wholesaling? Yeah, it was online arbitrage. I still don't do very much wholesale. Okay. So what made you go from retail arbitrage to online arbitrage and around what time was that? Uh, that was, I mean, when I really started to transition, it was probably... It was probably seven years ago. And, okay. uh, and it, we kind of had a hybrid for a little while, you know, it was, mm -hmm. it was retail and online. Uh, and that was all the way up until about four years ago, I did much less retail. Uh, but I had, I had hire people. I had an employee for a little while. Um, my job was the, the OA stuff. Um, but the reason I really tried to start transitioning is because we had a kid and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be out eight to 12 hours every day during the week. Uh, plus, you know, 12 to 16 hours on a Saturday or a Sunday, uh, and miss out on, you know, my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what, that's what really what made me decide I wanted to pursue some other avenues other than retail arbitrage. Right. Um, I, I quit my job so that I could be around, uh, and I wasn't going to allow my business to become the job that takes me away from my family. Right. Cause it just would have been a full circle. Just, just going back to what you tried to leave from. Um, I want to go back just a little bit. Cause you just said it about when you quit your job, when did you quit your job? Uh, I always forget, but it was, uh, it was December 31st, 2014. 14 or 15. I can't remember. It's either 14 or 15. Uh, but it was December 31st was my last day. Uh, and 
Uh, it was a difficult conversation. You kind of emotional your conversation. Right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it was, um, you know, but it, it was the right thing to do. He wanted to retire. Uh, things were changing in the insurance world and they weren't going to allow me to take over the agency. It wasn't going to be a family business. I'd have to go be an employee for someone else. And mm -hmm. unfortunately I am terminally unemployable. You, okay. So you started in 2011. So you did about a good three years of doing retail arbitrage and working full, um, full time at yeah. what point in that three, cause I'm, cause like, I'm sure that you didn't just wake up on December 31st and say, you know what, I'm gonna quit today. So at what point in that journey, did you realize this, this Amazon thing is something that I can really do that can replace my regular nine to five income? Uh, it was probably six months after we started actually taking it seriously. Um, yeah, I, I realized what kind of volume could be done. I realized what kind of margins there were. Uh, and I was like, this is, this is legit. Uh, and it was a lot of, one of the reasons I didn't quit earlier is mm -hmm. because, you know, it, it was family. Uh, you know, yeah. I thought I had a, you know, I thought I had a duty to make sure that I, I helped out in the family business and things like that. Uh, you know, but once things changed so much, uh, I was like, okay, it, it's time for me to go out and kind of place my own stake and see what I can do on my own. Nice. I get that. Um, I want to talk about some of the other things that you have going on. Can you tell me what is the OA challenge? Yeah, absolutely. So the OA challenge, it was, uh, was not my idea. The OA challenge was kind of the brainchild of not only myself, but Chris Green and, and Nate McAllister. And we had seen plenty of like weight loss challenges and, you know, all these other challenges. And we're like, well, there really should be something for Amazon sellers. Uh, and the reason that we ended up really liking the challenge format is because it's live. Like you've got to be there. You've got to, uh, you know, you got to pay the dues in time to learn all this stuff. Right. Uh, and it also gave me the opportunity to be able to answer questions uh, in a live format uh, and, you know, give feedback immediately. Uh, and, and so what I, what we've done with it is we've pretty much taken as much OA knowledge as I've, you know, been given and acquired over the last 10 years. Uh, and over the course of 14 days, I give it to everybody who sits through the OA challenge. So is it like a daily, like live stream or like, how does, like, how does, like, how does that work out? Yeah, it, so it is 14 days when we do it live. It's 14 days straight. Uh, I, I promise to go live 12 of those 14 days and give people two days off. Uh, but here's a little secret. I never do that. I'm, I'm live 14 days straight, at least one time a day, sometime between about 90 to 120 minutes per day, uh, just teaching everything I can about Keepa, uh, manual sourcing, uh, you know, everything I can think of goes into it. And how often in a year do you like do this? We do it about three times a year. Typically, okay. I think okay. next year we'll probably do four times. Um, but yeah, our last one was in June. Uh, and then, you know, Q4 got here and, uh, and we started focusing on our Q4 group, but the next one will be in February. Okay. Um, I listened to I was telling you this before we started recording. I listened to a few of your episodes on um, your podcast, which is also called Clear the Shelf with Chris. Also, mm -hmm. Chris and Chris, I like that. Um, yeah. 
one of the most interesting episodes that I listen to is um, Amazon automation is bullshit. Oh yeah. Why do you think that? Uh, all right. So are there companies out there that might do the right thing and, and Wait, automate I'm sorry. someone's business? I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off. Could you kind of explain what um, is meant by Amazon automation? Cause some people might uh, not know. Yeah. Absolutely. So there are companies out there that will promise you if you if you hire them, and it's typically like, you know, 10 or 20 or $30,000. Uh, they will, you know, get you products, send them into Amazon. And then you, they take a little cut of the upside. Uh, but you also pay for the inventory. So you've got to hire them, you know, let's say it's $25,000. Mm -hmm. Then you've got to pay for inventory and they, they purchase it, they vet it, they prep it, they pack it, they ship it to Amazon. Uh, some of them say, well, we do FBM. Uh, and, and then you, they take a portion of the profits as well. Okay. So it becomes this partnership thing. Um, my thing is, is that there have been too many of those automation companies that have already uh, gotten people's accounts suspended uh, for drop shipping improperly. There's, oh, wow. you know, uh, people who've gone out of business after they've, you know, collected all this money and there's no way for the consumer to get it back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm just really, really leery of companies who are like, hey, listen, you just give us money and we're going to make you an income you know, ad infinitum forever. Uh, it, I mean, business doesn't work that way. Exactly. It's never worked that way. Uh, you, you've got to have some involvement. You got to have some oversight, you, you know? Uh, and so I've just, I've always been very, very leery and I've never seen a company that actually does what they say they're going to do. Right. Um, so I'd love to be proven wrong because if I could, if I could come up with 50 grand and give it to somebody and they're going to, I'm just going to get checks cut for a couple thousand dollars every single month. It's a no brainer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but it just, it's just too good to be true. I get these, um, like I get at least three or four of these a day from these on Instagram, these DMs saying, Hey, I'm a Walmart, Amazon drop shipper. And if you give me $10,000, blah, blah, blah. But I never thought that people actually took those type of things seriously. So is this like an actual vibe, like real business that people actually will give somebody 20, $25,000 pay for the inventory. And then like, is this real? I mean, yeah, there are companies doing it. Uh, I, I got sent uh, an ad for one of them. And then I started doing some digging before that episode. Uh, and I realized that they were here in Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I actually drove past their office building. Uh, and I noticed that they were one of the things that really kind of made me dig a little bit deeper was the fact that they were changing their sign from their old name to a new name. Um... And now, that's not super unusual. Okay. Uh, you know, businesses change names, but it, you know, it kind of put my, it got your spidey radar up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so then I start digging into it and I just realized that 90% of these companies out there doing this kind of thing are, are not going to be doing you an actual service. It's just a money grab. And then if you get suspended, if you have a problem, like it's on you, it's your account. You're going to be the one who loses it. You're going to be the one who loses a way to make an income. Uh, and they're going to walk away, you know, hands clean.
Yeah, I get that. That segues perfectly into what I wanted because we have to give the people some type of like the new person who's just listening to this podcast, who's just probably thinking about starting Amazon and your 10 plus years of experience. What do you think is the best way for somebody to start selling on Amazon? Uh, it's either, it's going to be either retail or online arbitrage. Uh, and, and those are kind of interchangeable nowadays. You know, the, the divide between going into a store and shopping online has gotten uh, much, much smaller than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the cool thing about retail and online arbitrage is that you can take a series of small bets and you can validate that it works. Uh, and then you can decide how aggressive you want to be, uh, you know, and you know, you can be, you can be like, you know what, this is something I just want to make an extra $500 a month so I can maybe pay down debt or buy a car or whatever it is. Or you can scale up really, really quickly. Like some of these guys you see on social media who go from, you know, zero to a hundred thousand dollars a month in sales and, you know, six months. Yeah. Um, there's, and there's, there's not really a ceiling. I, I know guys who are doing, what is it? Uh, nine figures. I know guys doing nine figures in retail arbitrage only. Wow. Uh, I know guys doing, or not nine figures. I'm sorry. Eight figures, eight figures in retail arbitrage only. Uh, and I know people doing, million. yeah, 10 plus million and doing retail arbitrage. A year. A year. Yeah. You How know. does that work? Do they have like, do they hire shoppers? Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a team. You okay. can't, you can't do it on your own. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So like one guy I know, he's got shoppers in, he's got a, a team of shoppers in his hometown. Mm -hmm. He's got a team of shoppers uh, in another uh, like city area that's fairly large. And those two teams, uh, along with him and his wife, they, I mean, they bust out a huge amount of retail arbitrage every single year. Uh, you know, I know a family in Texas who runs a, a big, big operation doing retail arbitrage of clothing and shoes, mostly from outlets. Okay. Um, you and know, then I've, they sell I've, it on Amazon. Yeah. It's all sold on Amazon. Okay. And I, there's a guy up in Tennessee who he's, he does high seven, low eight figures, uh, doing retail arbitrage. He's got a team. Um, yeah, I know guys doing five, $6 million in OA, uh, you know, and they've got shoppers who maybe order from home or, uh, you know, all work at a warehouse together and they shop, they ship and they're just crushing it. Nice. Um, if I, cause you say online arbitrage and retail arbitrage, I kind of interchangeable or they kind of work hand in hand more than they did before, which I agree with that. I decided that I want to start selling on Amazon and I'm going to do, let's just say online arbitrage. How much money do you think I will need to invest up front to be able to see a good return on it? Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the toughest questions. Um, you know, just because I, I mean, I started with a, like a hundred bucks. That's what okay. we started with. Uh, and it took time, you know, it was slow, but you know, I probably made a hundred percent return on that hundred dollars in the first 60 days, which right. I thought was incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, if, if someone is starting today, I would, I would love for them to have a thousand dollars to spend on inventory alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, after they maybe buy Keepa, that's really about the only thing you need to really get started. Right. Uh, you know, but 
if you buy Keepa and you have a thousand dollars to buy inventory, that's going to be a really great way to uh, validate the business model and then decide how much you actually want to invest, whether that's your own cash or whether you go out and leverage credit cards or, or you know, whatever kind of capital you can get your hands on. That's something else that I wanted to ask you. Do you think somebody can become a, let's say, six figure seller in revenue, of course, um, without using without using credit? Can they just use their own cash? Like, but this person doesn't have 20, 30, 40,000, but they could put in maybe 2,000, 3,000 a month to be able to do that. Can they build up to being like a big time seller? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's definitely possible. It's going to be harder. It's going to take longer, uh, you know, but it they'll be, they'll probably feel a lot better, uh, you know, without having any kind of credit card debt over their head that they're worried about paying off the next month or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely doable. I actually, um, there was this guy, uh, and I can't remember his name. It's been years and years ago, but he had like a hundred dollars to his name. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, listen, he's like, I'm in a, I'm in a tough spot. I got to make this work or it's nothing. So he ends up selling his car. Okay. He had a, had like an old Jaguar sells his car for like two grand or three grand, uh, takes enough money aside to be able to rent a U-Haul truck for one day, mm-hmm. fills it up with inventory, spending all of his money, sends it all into Amazon uh, and then just starts flipping that just as fast as he humanly can. And, uh, you know, I, I checked on him maybe three or four months after this, he told that story and he was up to like $40,000 a month in sales. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. He was just absolutely crushing it, making really good buying decisions, uh, you know, selling fast moving inventory and then allowing that to just compound on itself. That's nice. That's like a really good story because I feel that like a lot of people, a lot of con- Amazon content creators kind of push taking credit or like trying to use credit. And I'm not sure how good I feel about that because I mean, yeah. I'm not a professional at all, but I feel that Amazon, no matter what you don't own Amazon, it's not your thing. And like anything can happen to where you can lose it. And then you're stuck holding a hundred thousand dollars of credit and you have no way to pay that back. So I do believe in using credit, but it's just like an iffy situation for me. I, I 100% agree. I was having this conversation not too long ago. I am, I'm all about using other people's money. I, Mm -hmm. I think that having leverage is, is really, really important, but you've got to be so careful. Yes. Uh, I personally don't spend any more money on inventory than I have in cash reserves. Mm -hmm. Uh, just because, just because I have a family, you know, right. I, I've got to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not going to have a, a credit card bill that we can't pay. Yeah. Uh, now, if I were, if I were 21 again, and I were starting over, would I do things a little bit different? Would I be a little You'll more run that credit lose? up? Yeah, most likely, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think, I think people need to take a, a real look at their risk tolerance and, uh, and things like that before they, you know, decide to go and, run up an American express card for a hundred grand. Exactly. That's something else that I kind of have a problem with. I don't want to seem like the negative Amazon seller, but a lot of people get onto Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And they see these other people saying, I made a hundred thousand dollars this, this month, or I did this, or I just took out a hundred thousand dollar Amazon credit or like whatever that is. But, and then they think that they could do that too, but they don't look at the situation 
that that person is compared to what they're in. Just like you said, let's use you, for example, you have a family, this person who's taking out all this credit, they don't have anybody else that's dependent on them. They may have parents that they could fall back on or like those type of things. So I think you need to just be able to take your situation and do what's best for you. Of course, you can look at these other content creators and pick and choose what you want to use, but don't just take the whole strategy from somebody else and then apply it to yourself. Exactly. You know, and it's, and it's not always, it's going to be fluid as well. Yes. Like your, your life is going to change. So your risk tolerance is going to change. And you know, what you know about business is going to change. Uh, you know, so you got to reevaluate that stuff all the time. Um, let's give a little bit more information to somebody who just wants to start. Um, I'm just starting. I got my Amazon account all set up. I have a thousand dollars. Um, what categories do you think I should focus on? That's a good question. Um, I would, I would say home and kitchen. Uh, and I can't, I always forget what categories are gated and what aren't gated anymore, but home and uh, kitchen is, is open. Home and kitchen is open. I can't remember is tools and, and, uh, home improvement. Is that open? I believe that's open. I, yeah. I've honestly never sold in that, but I think it's open. Okay. So those are, those are two categories that I absolutely love. Okay. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you can, in the home and kitchen category, you can go into a TJ Maxx, a uh, Ross, a Marshall's, uh, you know, other discount stores and there's home and kitchen stuff all over the place. Uh, and so, you know, it's fairly low hanging fruit. It's also a really, really big category. Someone, you know, I had to let's write say that down. Sorry. Okay. Let's say you're, let's say you're selling in uh, beauty and personal care. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to buy above 300,000 in sales rank. Uh, but in home and kitchen, you could go up to six, 700,000 in sales rank. And, you know, if there's not a ton of sellers, you're still going to be able to sell through at a, uh, an okay clip. Uh, tools and tools and home improvement, same way. Uh, there are one of the things, one of the things I like about tools and home improvement and nobody, like I've, I've had one person actually take me up on this and he's built himself a nice little business. Tools and home improvement has a couple of things going for you. Number one, contractors, contractors need to buy, uh, you know, light switches and, uh, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not using their money. Okay? So they're going to pay more for it. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna buy it. They're going to add 10% to it. And then they're going to give their customer the bill. Mm -hmm. All right. So they're not as price sensitive necessarily. All right. Uh, and then you've got the people who want to, you know, I don't know, fix up a room or, you know, add on a nursery or something like that. Uh, and they're looking for things. And Amazon's just, it's the place that like 70% of searches go to. Uh, you know, it, you go directly from looking at nurseries on Pinterest over to Amazon to find the items and you just buy them. Uh, and there's just a ton of places to find that stuff cheap. And, and it's the boring stuff that sells really well. It's, uh, it's the light switches. It's the down rods for, uh, you know, fans in your, in your house. It's, there's just so much opportunity. It's also a massive category. You can get up into half a million, 700,000 in tools and home and category, still sell through. Uh, and it's slept on during Q4. I mean, other than ties, what does dad get for Christmas? 
True. Some tools or something like, like that. Yeah. He gets tools. He gets something beer related or yeah. he gets like a tie or whatever. Uh, so tools and home improvement is just a great category. Okay. I got a question. Cause you just said something that kind of threw me through a loop. Um, I've never heard being up in half a million in sales rank, unless it was about books. So if you're in tools and home improvement and you're pushing 300,000, 400,000 sales rank, what is a, I don't want to say normal, but what is the ideal sell through rate? Like how many items could I expect for that type of sales rank to be selling like in a month? Um, so I've sold things that are, I sold something not too long ago, actually sold through 10 of them. Uh, but it was, it was right around 475 was like the average sales rank over mm-hmm. 90 days, um, Thousand, in right? tools and home. Yeah. 475,000 in okay. home and tools. Um, I bought 10 to test and I sold through all 10 in a month. Oh, okay. Okay. And that mm-hmm. was with, I don't know, five other sellers. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. it was, okay. So question about this is a lot of people say don't go past a hundred a hundred thousand it doesn't matter what um category it is or don't buy anything that sells less than 30 times a month how do you feel about that do you buy things that sell less than 30 or less than 20 yeah yeah Uh, the people who offer that kind of uh advice uh, they're they're coming from a good place (laughs) but they're wrong um you know, and I, and I get that, you know, people want to get stuff into Amazon and get it sold as quickly as possible so they can get their, their capital back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm all about speed of capital. I wrote a, a Twitter thread on it not too long ago that uh, um, kind of puts out all the math about how speed can be important. Uh, what I'm more interested in is I am more interested in really uh, unsexy products that I can I can sell regularly. I replenishables. Okay. And everything, everything is technically replenishable because, you know, maybe you don't buy, uh, you know, a computer camera, uh, you know, once a month or once a quarter, but there are enough people. Yeah. There's enough people buying them that you can replenish them. So, uh, my whole thing is, is that you should figure out how much you want to make. Okay. And yes, I know everyone wants to be a seven figure or an eight figure seller. And that's, you know, that's attractive, but if we're being realistic, what you really want to do is you want to replace either your income or you want to replace a household income. So you can just have one business that takes care of an entire family. In the U S the median household income is around like $75,000. Okay. That's yeah, how that's, much yeah, that's sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's yeah. like two people, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's two people. That's the right. that's the kind of middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, for most people, what we need to do is we need to build a business that makes seventy five thousand dollars a year in profit. Okay, uh, and a really easy way to do that is to kind of work backwards. All right. Well, if I can find a product that I can sell that makes me fifty dollars per month every single month. Okay, whether it sells whether that takes a hundred units for me to sell, or it takes five units for me to sell at $10 in profit. I just want these products to make me 50 bucks a month. And then you say, well, how many of those do I need to find to throw off $75,000 of profit in a year? Mm -hmm. It's somewhere between 150 and 250 products. 
once you figure that out, well, then it's just a game of going out and finding these, uh, these products that, you know, you could sell 10 of, you could sell 20 of, uh, and I'm happy to stay in those areas and have a larger, uh, kind of book Mm -hmm. so that if one of those products needs to be replaced, maybe it gets, uh, maybe it tanks, maybe it becomes discontinued and I can't buy it anymore. Well, now I don't have to worry about, you know, my golden egg going away. I just have to replace that $50 stream of income with another $50 stream of income. That's much, much easier to do. That's kind of the way I talk about it. Like I would much rather sell replenishables for one, for it, for easier for me. Cause I think when you like, there's nothing wrong, but you see on Instagram and all these people saying, oh, I sold Lego this, or I sold Nike that like, yeah, that's fine. But I don't like the fact I don't like chasing sales. Because once you sell out of that, you got to go to the next sale. Then you got to go to the next sale. And it's always chasing like your tail. But with replenishables, I like to go wide first off instead of going deep on one ASIN. Yep. And then and then just like you said, if one drops off, it's not the end of the world. I just got to replace that one. So if I'm like, I'm really laid back. Like if I find two to three new products a week, I'm fine with, with that because I already have my other 150 items that are already selling. So if I find three items a week over a month, that's that's like 12 to 15. And over a year, that's like another 150. And it's just going over and over and over. And I think that's just a much, not much more. That's just more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Practical way of actually selling on Amazon instead of looking for the next hot thing and this toy and that toy. So that's just, yeah. yeah. I agree 100%. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, sometimes I do enjoy the chase. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I think two years ago we ended up selling like $170,000 worth of, uh, this one product in Q4. Oh, wow. Uh, and you know, it, it was fun, you know, you get that dopamine hit. Uh, but then after that three month run is over, it's gone. I could have born. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I break out in the OA challenge one of the things that we cover is the math to replace the median household income and like how many SKUs you need uh, and, you know, how much time it can actually take. And we try to be really realistic uh, rather than trying to run up a business from zero to a million dollars a year too quickly. Because one of the things that, and this, this isn't just Amazon sellers, this is every startup founder that you read about on Twitter or in the Wall Street Journal, the people who tend to run up too fast, uh, they tend to fail a little bit more spectacularly. So uh, as much as it is really sexy and it makes for a really great Instagram post, uh, long-term, it's not necessarily sustainable unless you've got some really good processes on the back end. Yeah, I was reading something. This was was a couple of years ago, but I was reading reading something and and it says that, one of the number one reasons that a lot of businesses fail is that they scale too quick. They get like a little bit of, um, want to say success, especially restaurants. They get one restaurant that does really, really good. And then they want to open up two more restaurants or open up a couple more restaurants and they don't know how to handle that influx of all that type of stuff. So like, that's when it's like scaling too fast can be something that can really like mess up a business. Cause I get like a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, I want to start selling and I want to be making this much in three months. And I'm like, how about we just get your first shipment out first before we go to you replacing your job? Let's get you to understand how to actually find good products before you're talking about you want to send out pallets. So exactly. We've, we've all got that, that, you know, lottery mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it, yeah. 
the lottery in America right now is at, at $1.5 billion. It's, wow. it's like the second or largest jackpot ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I even catch myself doing this. Oh man, you know, if I win that, like, here's what I'm going to do. And here's what life is going to be like. And, you know, and we do the same thing when we're, you know, getting into a new business, but you made a really great point. Like, you need to slow down a little bit. Let's let's get the first shipment out and then let's do the second and then let's scale this thing in a responsible manner so that we know cash flow is there, uh, our processes are in place because uh, you you don't want a job at the end of the day. You want a business. You want something that you can step away from and you can outsource to other people or virtual mm-hmm. assistants. Uh, and uh, and yeah, you can't you can't do that if you're going too fast. I agree with that 100%. Do you offer coaching? I do not do one-to-one coaching. Um, I, I, is it because of the time? Like it is. I, I've got, I've got a lot of irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I have not figured out how to charge appropriately for what I think that my time should be valued at. Do you uh, think it's too high to what people would be willing to pay? Yes, I do. That's the problem and, that I'm having now. Yeah. And I know, I know how that, like, I feel bad saying that. Cause I know how I think that makes me sound like a jerk. It doesn't, um, it doesn't it, trust me. It doesn't, it makes you understand that the information that you have is valuable and you have 10 years of 10 plus years of um, experience. So definitely like, it doesn't make you sound that way. It makes you sound realistic. Cause that's not to cut you off. I'm sorry. Cause I don't have 10 plus years. I've only been selling for three years, but my problem is I'm more of the you don't have to invest thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to sell on Amazon. So I feel kind of weird saying, Hey, pay me this much money when I'm trying to tell you that you don't have to invest that much money. But then the amount of money that would be thing is kind of not worth my time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what we've, what we've tried to focus on instead is we've tried to focus on the, the one to many approach. Oh, coaching. I mean, group, group coaching. Yeah. Yeah, it's either group coaching or I prefer courses, whether okay. that's a live live cohort like the OA Challenge or we've got something coming out called the Keepa Academy here pretty soon. Uh, but I, I want to do that at a price point that people think it's an absolute no brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, the information can get to people who need it, who want it, uh, can do it without breaking the bank. And, you know, and then at the end of the day, I can still make sure that the bills are paid and, you know, business partners are taken care of and employees are handled and, and stuff like that. So I like that. Um, we've been going for about 45 minutes now. I don't want to keep you all, um, all day, but one of the last questions I like to ask people who come on a podcast is, do you think it's possible for anybody to start Amazon to, to start selling on Amazon and actually be able to quit their full-time job and become a full-time seller? Like they don't have to be making millions, but like we talked about earlier, just enough to replace their actual, um, income and actually maybe just live like a little bit better. So I want to say yes. Okay. Cause Amazon is, Amazon is simple. Not it's not easy, easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, yes, I do think that anybody can do this. However, I also think that there are a lot of people who are not cut out for business ownership and that's not a slam or anything like that. It, it's, it's okay. Uh, you know, but some people need to have a, an, a boss. They need to, you know, know that I'm going to go in and I'm going to work from this time to this time. And, and that's it. 
uh, and that's all right. Uh, it's, it's not for me, uh, but it's for a lot of folks. Um, and so it's really, really hard because I really do think I could teach anybody to sell on Amazon. Uh, you know, but there's a lot of other factors that go into it. Like, are you willing to continue learning? Are you, are you comfortable being uncomfortable? Because that's what business ownership is. You're in a, you're in a constant state of stress because you, uh, you're thinking about your business. You're, you know, curious, well, what is coming down the road? Uh, you know, like right now, uh, November 2022, uh, if you turn on the news, the only thing you're going to hear about is that the Fed bumped interest rates Mm -hmm. and that we're on the precipice of uh, an economic uh, downturn, you know, um, inflation is 40 year high, et cetera. And like, as a business owner, you're like, am I, am I going to be able to eat next month? Am I going to be able to pay the light bill? Uh, You know, and, and that is an uncomfortable feeling. So I think that that is more of the thing uh, that a lot of people cannot deal with uh, that makes them not necessarily cut out for entrepreneurship or business ownership. I like that answer 100% because that's exactly how I feel. I think anybody can do it, but like, I really believe that there's two different types of people in the world. There's people who are more business orientated, who, as you said, um, they're just not good employees because they're, because they're just wired wired differently but then there's other people who are good employees neither one is bad but you kind of got to know which one you are because taking point person a who's an employee and put them into a business thing they won't be able to handle it just like a lot of business owners can't be like long-term employees so if you are that type of person who can handle the stress and run run a business then i think you definitely can actually sell on amazon and become a full-time seller but if it's just not for you it's just not for you yeah yeah and that's okay you know Exactly. So Chris, I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Thank you so much. What is the best way? Cause you have a lot of different type of mediums out there. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you or just follow you? Yeah. So I am at clear the shelf everywhere. That's uh, that's my blog, clear the shelf.com uh, youtube.com forward slash at clear the shelf. Uh, it's my social media on Instagram, on Twitter, I am on TikTok, but I, I can't, I can't do, I can't. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. I, I co-run some Facebook groups uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere. Uh, so I try to be as ubiquitous as I possibly can. Thank you. I will have all his links in the description below, whether you're listening to it on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, you can just click on the links to get in contact with him. Awesome. Right, before we head out, I got a yes. question for you. Yes. Uh, What's the best book that you've read over the past uh, three months that's been impactful? Actually, it's the book that I'm reading now, because usually when I like I read at least one book a month, I want to get the two books a month, but it's getting getting kind of hard for me. But a lot of the times, like I read self-help books and business books. A lot of the times I kind of have to force myself to read the, the books, but mm-hmm. I'm reading now the um, 5 a.m. Club. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's I I really enjoy it because it's more like a lot of self-help books are dry cut and it's just bam, 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 do this. But this is like more in a story format and it still has its principles in there. And I'm really enjoying that book. Like I read like the first 50% of it in like two days and I, and like, I haven't read that like in a long time. So the 5 a.m. club. Okay. Awesome. I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but that's on my list. Um, 
right now I am, I'm just finishing up discipline as destiny by Ryan holiday. Um, I love Ryan holiday, but I never heard that book. It's his very newest one. It just came out in September. What's the name? Um, Discipline is what? Discipline is destiny. Is destiny. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what he's doing is he's, he's writing uh, one book on each of the stoic virtues. So I love stoic, uh, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, this one, this one's really, really good. Bunch of really great stories in it. Uh, but I guess the book that's probably been most impactful is probably atomic habits. Uh, yes, it's, yes, yes, yes. It's like yes. the entrepreneur's Bible. My favorite book of all time is the alchemist. Have you ever read that? The alchemist that sounds familiar. I think read I've that. read it. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll go check it out again. Okay. I have one quick question for you. What would you have said if I told you I don't read? Oh, I would have asked you how you do learn instead, because oh, I'm yeah. not necessarily someone who uh, who thinks you absolutely have to read books. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's wise that you do because we get to learn. Like I was thinking, uh, I was I've been listening to a podcast, uh, and what he does is he reads biographies and autobiographies, and then basically his podcast is doing a book report on the people that he reads about. Okay. okay? Uh, and it, it's incredible. It's an incredible podcast. What's the, but, um, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, it's called the founders podcast. Okay. Uh, and, and so what, what he does, and they're all, they're usually business people that he talks about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but he did, he did one recently on, um, oh shoot. Uh, the Mamba, uh, Kobe Bryant. Kobe. Yeah. Kobe it was excellent. Kobe's work ethic was unparalleled. Uh, probably since Michael Jordan, I don't think anybody else worked any harder than those two guys in the NBA. Uh, but he's done them on Thomas Edison and, and all kinds of people. And we get to learn from all these mistakes and, and, and then also the right things that these people did. And there's not, I mean, you don't really get that on YouTube. It's no, there is good content on YouTube, but it's mixed with a little bit more, uh, entertainment. Uh, and so, you know, you got to kind of take out the lessons on your own, but, you know, reading is just one of those ways that's, that's incredible. Uh, but I probably would have asked you, uh, what podcasts or blogs do you read or listen to and, and what YouTube channels are you watching? Nice. Um, how do you feel about audio books? Do you think it's a difference between listening to a book and reading it? I think the comprehension rate is, uh, is different. Meaning at least better for with me. audio or. Uh, it's probably, well, for me, it's worse, uh, you know, cause I, I listen to a book and then I'm also in my head and I'm, you know, I'm having this internal dialogue either about something I want to remember or what am I gonna, you know, what are we making for dinner? Or, you mm-hmm. know, and then I, I kind of tune it out. Yes. Uh, but, and I have tried listening while reading, which is a hack that Alex Hormozzi does. Listening, uh, it, listening to the book while reading the book. Yeah. And okay. it's got to be I've unabridged so that everything matches. Right. Uh, but then, then you've got two senses, you got your mm-hmm. eyes and your ears. Uh, and so I've tried that. It's not for me, uh, but reading is probably the thing that I retain the best. Although there is a new platform out for uh, visual books and what they're doing is they're getting the authors to do like 30 to 45 minute videos Mm-hmm. Uh, about all the ideas that were in the author's book. Uh, and so okay. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm going to with one of uh, Patrick Bet David's books. Uh, yes, I love him too. How, yeah, I'm going to see how it is and see if I can sit through it. And uh, But I'm bullish on that. I think it's a good way to 
to get the information across to people. Last last question, then I promise that we're going to end it. Uh, yeah. With so many, as you say, irons in the fire, how do you find, because this is one of the biggest things that people use as an excuse. I don't have the time to read. So how do you figure out or how, or how do you manage time to be able to read all these different books and know all these different people and listen to all these different podcasts and like all that? So, I mean, you just, you have to make it a priority. Um, so I really do try to sit down and read at least 10 pages a day. Uh, yes. And, you know, what I do is I'll be like, so I just keep my, I keep a stack of books right here to the left of my computer. Uh, I'm also reading the daily Drucker, which is a, a daily read. Uh, I'm reading, uh, reading a little Edgar Allan Poe right now. Uh, Cause I'm trying to be a little more cultured. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so you, you just got to say, Hey, listen, I, I'm just going to do it. Uh, and you make the time for it. Even if it's just 10 pages a day, 10 pages a day is, is a ton of reading over the course of a year. Uh, and then see what kind of habits you can stack on top of each other. Uh, I listen to podcasts while I'm on the bike, uh, while I'm, you know, at the gym, while I'm, uh, while I'm driving in the car. Mm -hmm. I don't drive as much as I used to, but I used to, I used to be able to listen to entire audiobooks in a day with as much driving as I was doing, doing retail arbitrage. Uh, so find ways that you can kind of slot it in, uh, and damn it, turn off Netflix. Like, uh, I'm guilty. Okay. I am really, really guilty. My wife and I are, our guilty pleasure at the end of a long day is to sit down in bed and watch a little trash TV together and make fun <laughs> of it. Okay. Uh, but I should not be doing that. I should be, uh, winding down with a book or, you know, listening to something educational. Uh, and so there are, there are places to fit it in. That is my, I have these kicks that I go on that I try to be disciplined on certain things. Um, like the, like I kind of got going to the gym. Like now I go to the gym and it's not a work. Like I don't have to force myself to go. I used to have to wake up in the morning and go straight to the gym. Now I can go late at night or it doesn't really matter. Cause I, it's just something that I do. So now what I did was I gave up TV. I gave up Netflix. I, I gave up everything. And instead of doing that, whenever, like at night, like you said, I will come home and I would like want to watch TV or catch up on some TV shows. Now I read more, but the, since I've done it, I'm on like two weeks now of, of like not watching it. I, my pro, my productivity has like went up so much. I don't think I'm going to do it forever, but it's just something that I like to do. Yeah, absolutely. I may have to I don't know. I'll have a mutiny in my house, but I may have to give that a try. I still watch YouTube, but 95% of the things I watch is like either motivational or educational. I do have a couple mm -hmm. of channels that I watch for my like my entertainment, but even with the entertainment, I'm still learning something about it. Yeah, but okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Hey guys, so I really hope you enjoyed that podcast. That was episode 20 of the Amazon Hustle podcast. That was Chris, aka Clear the Shelf. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor. Give it a five-star review if you're listening to it on Spotify or Apple Music or any of the other podcast platforms. And if you're watching the video on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like the video, and click that bell so you can be notified when I upload because I post other, other things on the YouTube channel. So if you're listening to it on the podcast, still go over to the YouTube channel and subscribe on the YouTube channel. And if you're on the YouTube channel, go over to the podcast and give it a five-star review. So that's kind of more work for you, for you guys to do if you enjoy the podcast. And I'll catch you guys next week in episode 21 of the podcast.